Hi, this is a message from Dr. Zaid Fadul, President of the Maricopa County Medical Society's Board of Directors. MCMS is unabashedly in favor of physicians. We will work hard to ensure all physicians have a voice in the future of healthcare in the Valley. Dr. Fadul's goals for 2023 are twofold. One, to rebuild the social fabric and camaraderie of the local medical community. Make friends, connect with others for referrals, and support one another for research and improvements in clinical care. Second, to increase the value of membership. We want to help you to save money, learn about changes in healthcare, and leverage the medical society as a help desk throughout your career. So please join us on this journey. Here are a few ways that you can participate. Host a social event at your practice, clinic, or hospital. Get interviewed for our Arizona Physician Magazine. Share your story on this Arizona Physician Podcast. Tell us what discounts or member benefits you would like to receive. And volunteer for a committee. If you're interested in helping MCMS, then please email us. Send a short message to mcms at mcmsonline.com or call us at 602-252-2015. Thank you. You know, we believe at least that health is a human right. And so that's what we would hope that over time more and more people really do believe that it is a human right and that um, that's just something we care about. So I think for the average person, the average American, number one, self-preservation, it's just a matter of time till the next outbreak comes. And even if it's not infectious disease, I mean, there's so many other things that just impact our health on a global level. Um, and I think secondarily, like, that could be you one day. You could be in a vulnerable position and wouldn't you want people to care about you, right? So I think just broadening, you know, whether it's a different country or someone here, um, you know, in our own backyard. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and we have two special guests, Drs. Sarah and Jason Bestie. Sarah completed her BA degree from Boston College with a major in theology and minor in chemistry before going on to obtain her MD degree from Creighton Medical School. As a medical student, she spent a summer in the Dominican Republic with Creighton's ILAC program. In 2016, she graduated with a master's in public health from the University of Massachusetts and a fellowship in pediatric global health. She worked for Partners in Health in Malawi, as well as in Liberia, promoting pediatric programs and providing direct patient care to children with malnutrition, HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria. She spent time in Geneva at the WHO working on pediatric HIV projects, and later she collaborated with local researchers in Mozambique on a program analyzing prevention of mother-to-child transmission of HIV. As a global health fellow at UMass, she designed and taught an online global health course to UMass medical students and led a pediatric resident trip to rural Haiti. Domestically, she's worked at a federal qualified health center, FQHC, in East Boston, serving mostly Central American immigrants and refugees. She spent five years as an urgent care physician with Seattle's Children's Hospital, providing patient care and spearheading the department's equity group in 2020. From 2020 to 2022, she served as a board member for Mother Africa, a Seattle-based organization founded by immigrant women, which supports and empowers immigrant women. In the summer of 2022, she relocated to Phoenix, where she now sees patients at St. Joe's Medical Center, does bedside teaching with medical students at St. Vincent de Paul Clinic, 
and develops the curriculum for the new Arupe Global Scholars Program at Creighton University. She's also the proud mother of her five-year-old son, Xavier, and loves music, traveling, hiking, and eating delicious food. That's awesome. <laughs> Great. Uh, your partner in crime is Dr. Jason Bestie, infectious disease and public health specialist who is named the inaugural executive director of the Arupe Global Scholars and Partnership Program at Creighton University. He is originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota and graduated from Creighton University, receiving the undergraduate degree in the College of Arts and Sciences and medical degree in the School of Medicine. He completed his residency in internal medicine and social medicine at the Albert Einstein School of Medicine, Montefiore Medical School in the Bronx and Infectious Disease and Fellowship and MPH at the University of Washington. Prior to coming to Creighton, Dr. Jason Bestie held faculty appointments at Harvard Medical School, the Division of Global Health Equity at Brigham and Women's Hospital, and the Department of Global Health and Division of Allergy and Infectious Disease at the University of Washington. His expertise is in health system strengthening with a particular focus on post-conflict health systems. He's worked as the medical director and chief medical officer for Partners in Health in Liberia and Malawi, and a global health instructor and researcher for the University of Washington. And he spent the last decade working in a number of global health systems, working to promote health equity and improved access to healthcare systems. Thank you both so much for being here. We're so excited to be here. Great to be here, John. Welcome to the Valley. And (laughs) I hope that I think going after your your desire to eat delicious food that you found some amazing places in town, especially with the Sonoran cuisine that's here in Phoenix and just south of us in Tucson, it really stands out. So hopefully you're, you're filling your bellies every day. So far, so good. Good. So we wanted to, to bring you on today to talk about this uh, range of things that you've been doing. And um, I'm a Catholic. I graduated from Xavier University, another Jesuit school like Creighton. I'm somewhat aware of uh, Father Pedro Arupe and know that he left medical school to join the Society of Jesus. Late in his life, he then founded uh, Jesuit Refugee Service. There's some friends of mine who have done that over the years, gone into domestic or, or received volunteer activities. So uh, Jason, I want to talk with, with you, start with you first. Please tell us more about the Global Scholars Program and its connection to Father Arupe. Yeah, thanks, John. And again, thanks for having us here. It's it's fantastic to meet you and to, to meet everybody else who's listening to this podcast. Yeah, this is this is a really exciting opportunity up at Creighton University. Um, there, you know, Pedro Rupe, uh, as you mentioned, um, was the founder of the uh, Jesuit Refugee Service and um, really was almost a physician and really held health care and health equity, um, you know, close to his heart. There's a wonderful quote by, by Pedro Rupe, which we use as a foundation of the program. And the quote is this, Pedro says, to be just, it is not enough to refrain from injustice. One must go further and refuse to play its game, substituting love for self-interest as the driving force of society. Now, I'm going to repeat that one more time, because when I listen over podcasts on the radio, I, 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 it's hard for me to remember everything. So I'm going to repeat it one more time, and I'm going to talk about this quote a little bit and how, it, how we use it in our program. So again, the quote is, to be just, it is not enough to refrain from injustice. One must go further and refuse to play its game, substituting love for self-interest as a driving force of society. So as we're creating, this is a new five-year medical school curriculum program, what we're designing 
And we, we start with this idea of justice. So to, what is justice? We first talk about what does justice mean, but what are really the injustices in healthcare and in other areas as well in our culture and our society? Because as Pedro says, if you want to be just, it's not just enough to realize the injustice or to refrain from it. So first we have to learn what injustices are. What are we actually facing as physicians, right, in the healthcare field? Let's learn about those injustices first. And then what Pedro says is that's not enough. You have to go a step further. We must go further. We must refuse to play this game. We must refuse to, to perpetuate these injustices in healthcare. And what we have to do is substitute our love for our self-interest. So we talk about this and teach about this to our students is why you want to become a physician. Is this a calling for you or is there a different reason you got into medicine? And hopefully this is a calling for you because we need to substitute our love for self-interest, right? Like our desires to be physicians should be for to promote the common good um, rather than promoting ourselves, right? And our own career, but it's to promote the health of our communities uh, that we're living. And that is the driving force of society. That's the driving force of what gets us up, right? Every day as physicians is we're no longer making a difference in our community, right? So that this quote really embodies the whole curriculum, the five-year curriculum that we're putting together for this program. Thank you so much. I understand that you bring students to other countries as well. We are here in Arizona. There are definitely some problems that are almost uh, somewhat would say uh, like underdeveloped countries or people throw out the term third world countries. Um, where do you bring students, whether it's around the corner or to another country? And what are they doing abroad? Like what's the takeaway message or the experience that you're trying to instill in medical students about going to these other locations? Yeah, such an important question. You know, we're actually right now, we're working on forming these international partnerships right now. As a matter of fact, tomorrow morning, I'm actually leaving to visit a couple um, potential partners in Sub-Saharan Africa. But your question really provides a great opportunity to describe the type of international partnerships we're working to establish. We want to build partnerships with an emphasis on a, uh, on a concept called decolonizing global health. This is an incredibly important topic because the majority of global health work done in the world is actually not based in equitable partnerships nor in healthcare equity. Too often, we see institutions in the global north, and when I say global north, and I'm going to refer to the global south, these are not good terms I'm using. All right, the global north; these are vast terms I'm kind of using to explain those countries in North America or Western Europe, in Australia, um, which, is in which is in the <laughs> south, right? But these aren't great terms. Um, and, and you mentioned some other terms, like these are some hard terms. We, language is really important in medicine, right? We teach our students people first, right? This is a person with HIV. This isn't an HIV infected person. This isn't a diabetic person, right? Because then you label the person as a disease and not as a human as your first priority. So we use this people sentence. Same thing in global health. As you mentioned, we don't have great terminology. We use developed and developing countries. That's incredibly colonialistic. We're developed as if these other countries are developing so they're not as good as us. That's a very colonial thinking. Same thing even if we use high-income countries and low-income countries. We use this terminology all the time in global health. But there's a problem with that, right? Because now we're saying the worth of a country is on your economic income, right? And a country's worth is not just on their economic output, right? That's a very capitalistic thought. And so a country's worth, if they're low income, that means they're not, maybe they're not, people think, oh, they need help. Maybe they're not as smart. Maybe they can't, right? These really terrible implicit biases that we have that we have to become aware of. So language is really important. So I just want to, I want to start with that. So what we're doing too often, what we see is in the global North, including us here at Creighton University, 
we define what research should be done and which burdens of disease should be prioritized in the global south, rather than having the global south dictate these topics. There's actually a lot of equity uh, in the field of global health. And we at Creighton, being um, an institution in the global health, we don't want to perpetuate these, these inequities, I should say. We don't want to perpetuate these inequities um, that are embedded in global health. So therefore, I'm saying all this because we're being really careful and thoughtful about who our partners will be, how we will work to form equitable partnerships and learn what our international partners are interested in partnering with Creighton. So our goal is to create about five international partnerships with partners in South America and in Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa and in Asia. And as for our students and what they're gonna be doing abroad, we're also being really cognizant and careful not to have them perform medical tourism or perpetuate this idea of the Western savior complex or to be a burden on our international partners. Instead, they're gonna be primarily working with communities on health related projects that have been identified by the local communities and by our partners, instead of us coming in to a country and a culture we don't know much about or we know very little about, and then us telling them what projects we wanna do, what we're interested in doing. Again, this unfortunately is very common practice in global health. So we need to work to decolonize this type of practice. And then I think lastly, what I want to say is our students, you know, an important part of this program is they're going to return year after year for four years in a row to that international partner site, which is going to allow them to build this trusting relationships with their communities. And because they're going to be living with um, and in those same communities that they're going to be working in. This is going to allow them to learn cultural humility and they'll be, they're going to be able to practice a key concept that we talk in our Rupe program, which is something called pragmatic solidarity. And solidarity is right being, you know, being thoughtful of another population or being, you know, being understanding of what's kind of going on. Um, but the pragmatic parts was really important. The pragmatic part is saying, look, I'm actually going to live with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be a, be, I want to learn about this culture and, and not just be a tourist for a week or two weeks and then leave, but we're going to come back. So it's that pragmatic solidarity is what's really important in global health. But we do have two partners identified already. We do. That's great. Right. That's awesome. That's yeah. yeah. So you're two fifths so of the way there. Yeah. So the Dominican Republic and then Ecuador are two of the countries that have already agreed. Um, there's a long-standing relationship with the Dominican Republic, but um, but Ecuador will be a newer partner. And then, like Jason said, he's actually leaving in the morning for um, East Africa. So hopefully, more good things to come soon. Thanks for framing it that way. I think uh, it may not be a surprise to listeners. Uh, there's probably a connection between what. Pedro's done in his when when he was alive, and um, with the two of you involved with Partners in Health, and you know folks can go back and read the book from Tracy Kidder, Mountains Beyond Mountains, and what Paul Farmer was doing when Partners in Health was created, and all the time that he spent in Haiti, I believe, um, when he was a medical student. You know, all the leave that he took off, and eventually he graduated from medical school. But it was that that sense of society and the commitment, a long-standing commitment, not doing medical tourism that he had with the the relationships and the the folks who are outside of the main cities in Haiti. And Jason, I'll ask you a final question and we'll take a break. What does success mean to you? What what would that look like in the program? Yeah, John, it's such a good question because it's so, it's so multifaceted. You know, there's so many components to this program on how to measure success. You know, first, you know, we can measure success maybe on the medical student level. We see success as having our medical students not only learn, but, you know, really practice and master key concepts such as, you know, maybe implicit bias and 
you know, recognizing and standing against racism in medicine, becoming an expert, maybe in understanding key concepts, as I mentioned, like decolonizing global health, health equity, liberation medicine, which is a key topic that we teach, pragmatic solidarity, as I already mentioned, and really to embrace and to understand cultural humility. Now, I think success can also be measured by seeing what populations our graduates will work with when they complete med school and residency. You know, whether that be pursuing a career in global health, living abroad, working with populations who are vulnerable, um, or working with populations in their own backyard here in Maricopa County, so, you know, such as those populations who live in poverty, who are immigrants, who are refugees, who are homeless, you know, and, and other groups that we see that are marginalized. You know, I also believe that we can probably measure the success of the program on how well we form equitable international partnerships, right? We can measure our success by evaluating the international communities are Creighton students and their mentors from both our international partners and Creighton, Creighton mentors, the works, the work that they're doing on their projects in those local communities to see how those communities are doing. Now, these are just two or two or three, a couple of like basic indicators, what I mentioned, but this is such an important concept and question that we actually have a dedicated team right now who are working on identifying indicators of success. And actually over the next couple of months, we're planning to finish um, our assessment of, of what we're actually gonna use as indicators for the program, because this is out of 154 medical schools in the United States, this is um, the, one of the most innovative medical school training programs. This five-year curriculum with not only an MD and an MPH, but a five-year Arupe-specific curriculum that's tackling you know, five or six key global health topics um, and really preparing students to be, you know, very, you know, use cultural humility and understand their own implicit biases in medicine, really preparing them to work with populations who are vulnerable, whether that's here in Maricopa County or abroad. Folks, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Our guests today are Dr. Sarah and Jason Vesti. We'll take a short break and then we'll continue our conversation speaking with Sarah about a whole range of topics, including why the average American should care about global health. We'll be right back. Interested in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the valley, want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and podcast, or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation? At MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician. Join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast. Our guests today are Drs. Sarah and Jason Besty. In the first half of the show, Dr. Jason Besty talked about the Arupe Global Scholars Program at Creighton University, a program that is expanding and reaching out to five partnerships around the globe. So now we want to talk about the connection between the work that the two of you have done abroad and basically a pitch, I think, to the average American, maybe even a medical student or practicing physician about why they should care about this. So Sarah, in the, the bios talked earlier about how the two of you have worked in so many other countries. Many Americans, I believe, can't even identify other countries on a map. So what's your pitch about why global health matters to the average American? All right, well, I'm gonna take this in two steps. So I think that there's like a moral imperative argument and then there's also like a logistical or practical side to it. So I'll start more with the practical logistical side. And I think a great recent example that we had was COVID, right? Um, it really highlighted how interconnected we all are. Um, 
we are a global society, we have modern travel, and we saw how outbreaks in certain regions can have ripple effects and affect us over here, right? Public health measures, vaccine availability, treatment, um, medical treatment, it needed, it needs to be uh, more equally spread across because that's the only way to really keep outbreaks controlled and keep everyone safe, right? Because diseases are not going to be confined by borders, by nationality, anything like that. So we could be doing a great job over here in our corner, but we really have to be mindful and knowledgeable about what's going on everywhere and making sure that they have the resources that they need so that everyone can remain safe, right? So we have to think about outside of our own little bubbles. Um, so if you care about, if you don't even care about humanity or anyone else and you just care about yourself, like that's an argument for that, right? Self-preservation. Um, but I think that there's also, you know, a moral imperative, um, just promoting dignity and promoting justice, regardless of wealth, sex, um, race, education. Uh, we see health disparities here within a nation, and we can see them across nations. And we know geography and wealth are two of the most important factors of health. So looking domestically, health, like life expectancy and health outcomes can vary widely within zip, between zip codes in America. Like uh, there was some article we read between, you know, you take the, the DC Metro and as you leave, you know, the city and then go towards Virginia, it was like the life expectancy went up like every mile that you went, you know, something like that, for example. Um, and it, you know, it shouldn't also depend on what country you were born in, right? So these factors, what zip code, what country you live in, it shouldn't determine whether you live or die, shouldn't determine how long your life expectancy is, what conditions you might have to suffer through during that time. For me as a pediatrician, I think of like how many children you have to lose in childbirth. I mean, you know, like just the danger of childbirth and then the neonatal period. I mean, whenever we're working abroad or you're working in really poor regions, like you see that um, it's not a given that a mom's going to take her baby home, right? And like, that just shouldn't be the case. Like moms here in the suburbs love their kids just as much as any woman anywhere else. So so I think that that's just another moral imperative to think about like, this could be your mother, it could be your brother, it could be your friend. Like, even though we live in different places, like we're all humans and we all deserve the same, um, you know, I, you know, we believe at least that health is a human, right? And so that's what we would hope over time, more and more people really do believe that it is a human, right? And that um, that's just something we care about. So I think for the average person, the average American, number one, self-preservation, it's just a matter of time till the next outbreak comes. And even if it's not infectious disease, I mean, there's so many other things that just impact our health on a global level. Um, and I think secondarily, like that could be you one day, you could be in a vulnerable position and wouldn't you want people to care about you, right? So I think just broadening, you know, whether it's, a different country or someone here, um, you know, in our own backyard. You both raised the term of health equity. And Sarah, I want to follow up to that about um, what you say to medical students about health, health equity and kind of frame this for you because um, I've heard from several people recently that despite efforts to try to diversify the pool of people who go to medical school or the people who graduate medical school and go on and practice we've made a little progress, but not a lot. And so very often people who go to school, who go on to, to have a career in medicine are coming from very similar socioeconomic backgrounds and may or may not understand what that means. So you both described it a little bit, but what's your pitch when you talk to medical students at Creighton or you see people at the hospital about what health equity means and why that should be important? Well, I'm just going to start really 
basic foundational, I think the first thing is just to acknowledge that inequity exists, right? We have to just acknowledge that there is a gap in health between certain groups, between certain populations. Second is that we really want to pay attention to the structural injustices that exist. So what do we mean by this? When we talk about structural injustices, we're talking about history and policies, these these things that particularly advantage or disadvantage specific groups, right? So a lot of times in medicine, you know, we hear about um, lifestyle modifications or personal behaviors, right? And there is, I mean, that does impact a lot of your health, whether you smoke or drink or exercise or have a good diet, but we have to like zoom out a little bit and also think about how much um, these, you know, policies and historical factors and on a structural level also impact, um, you know, individuals health um, rather than just like blaming an individual and uh, missing out on opportunities to pr promote health on a broader scale. So, so for example, like generational wealth, we know that generational wealth is really tied to home ownership and that for a long time, black, uh, black individuals couldn't own property. Then when they could, you know, cities were redlined. And so now like, like generations later, there's this, there is a, a um, a wealth gap between like the average black family, the average white family. And we know that wealth is tied into health. I mean, that's just like a direct line, right? But then beyond that, when earlier, when I was talking about the zip codes, you also have to think about the zip codes. Is there a lack of green space? Are you in a more polluted area, like your water and your air, um, food deserts and, and all of these things. So is it enough to just blame the individual or would we have to say like, okay, this is, you know, a person how much of this personal decision did they have on their own versus they were just kind of born into these conditions, right? So that's one. Last week, um, for we had like these monthly lunch sessions with our River Pay scholars. We were actually looking into indigenous health. And we had this great talk that we watched um, from a Lakota um, physician. And so he was talking about um, health sort of on Pine Ridge, like North and South Dakota. And one of the things that he was talking about was um, just the higher rates of obesity, diabetes, kidney disease. And, and he connected this to, you know, they're in a, I mean, talk about a food desert. There's is like, they're near grocery stores about three hours away. And so that's, if you have a vehicle in the first place, and then you have enough gas money to get to Rapid City, that's the closest um, uh, actual grocery store you could get to. Otherwise there was like one quickie mart, like a gas station. You don't have any fresh fruit there. You don't have anything else. And so, you know, for them, you can preach them all you want, healthy diet, healthy this and that. But like, if there's not the ability to acquire any of this, like that's just a structural thing that needs to change in order to promote health in a population, right? So that's just one thing. We need to have an understanding of the structures at play. Um, and then, I mean, the pitch, I got to say the <laughs> the pitch with med students it's not a hard sell because I feel like the, the younger generations, they are way past advanced, like even I feel like a couple decades later with us and, and people a couple decades, you know, above me that they're coming in and they're teaching us things and they know things, you know, we think that maybe we're impressing them and we're not at all, you know, <laughs> they're just so advanced and and their knowledge of things. And so I don't think it's a tough sell at all, but I think that it's really interesting as we're connecting the dots for them as they're in their daily classes of like anatomy and chemistry and pharmacology to, to connect those dots, to zoom out and see how, wow, a lot of these factors are tied into the structures and we need to be aware of that so that we can, if, if as physicians, we really want to promote health. It's so multifaceted. Yeah.
Does that answer your question? <laughs> and then some, yeah, it's, that's, that was fantastic. Thank you. Jason, you were helping to train medical students to look at analyzing health conditions and the care they provide for patients in foreign countries, right? What's happening here in Arizona that compares to what you've seen abroad? Good question. Um, well, John, I think, although you know we're training students in global health with this program, we're also training our students on local health conditions and issues here in the United States. We're developing a curriculum composed of both um, didactic sessions and hands-on clinical rotations for our students to work with an array of cultures and populations here in Maricopa County um, and nearby here in the state of Arizona, um, uh, including different health inequities and healthcare challenges that American Indians encounter, refugees here encounter, immigrants encounter, people who are homeless and who are living in poverty. This idea of like global health is like out there, that's in quotations, as you can't see me on the right, but I'm putting my fingers in quotations. Global health is not out there, really. We have global health here in the United States. We have global health here in Maricopa County. And we really call this the local to global connection. There's many similarities between, I would say, here and the other countries we've lived. You know, we don't have to look much further than populations who are disproportionately affected as what Sarah was mentioning earlier to, to COVID. We know that BIPOC populations, people living in poverty, people who don't have access to healthcare or insurance disproportionately face the brunt of infection and death, including here in Maricopa County. So we have health system inequities here in the United States that on many levels are similar to health system inequities in other countries around the world. What we see here, both in Phoenix and abroad, we see populations who are overlooked and forgotten. And we need to have healthcare providers both realize these populations need accompaniment and healthcare providers and our medical students. Um, we need them um, to use their tremendous skills and their resources to work with these populations. I, I think that there are plenty of examples that people can turn to, to see that. And my, here's a personal comment and, and suggestion to, um, the powers that be who may be listening is the cost of going to school is somewhat of a hindrance for people who may want to go into global health or to spend more time with their local communities. Uh, just like there may be a lot of people going to law school who would prefer to be a prosecutor or a public defender. They just feel like, wow, I've got $200,000, $300,000 of debt I have to pay down. I really want to do that, but I feel like I have to go to this private firm mm -hmm. or feel like I have to work for a hospital system or go into private practice and do all that stuff mm -hmm. to pay down my loan. Do I have the time for it? That kind of feeds into this last question for the two of you. How can physicians currently in practice in Arizona get more involved in caring for less fortunate, poor residents or volunteering to serve others abroad, people who we, we talk about who are underserved populations, um, marginalized populations. So are there local organizations, Sarah, I know you volunteer with St. Vincent de Paul, groups like that, or do you think that they should take a trip abroad um, or travel somewhere else in the U.S. to see that and volunteer? Good question. I'm going to answer your question, but I did just want to comment on what you commented about um, with the last, like all of the hindrances to, to, you know, pursuing, you know, being a public defender, doing global health, working with local populations. I will put one plug in that there are some good loan repayment programs um, that do, you know, honor employment with um, 501c3s or different, you know, NGOs that you might work with or academic centers. And so 
if you truly are interested, there are avenues to make it doable. You're not going to be rolling in dough, <laughs> but but you can make it. So I just want to definitely encourage people. Okay, for the for the local involvement, what I will say is I've been here for about five months, so I do not know the landscape in and out. So I cannot comment to know every single um, opportunity here. So I'll take a more general approach. But what I would say is, first of all, the first step is just you know, taking an interest, like maybe they're listening to this podcast and that's just, you know, like the beginning of the spark. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's having a conversation with a coworker who might be, you know, um, you might know that they have a background in something like this. Um, and then just find an issue that resonates with you. I think that's something that can be very overwhelming. I get very overwhelmed by um, just how ubiquitous, right? There's like a thousand issues you could care about. Um, and then you just kind of feel paralyzed because you're like, I can't cure you know, child malnutrition and women's rights and this and that. So I would say find an, an aspect that you're most passionate about, right? Maybe you're an OB and you want to do like maternal mortality in the black community, or maybe you're really interested in, I, I don't know, X, Y, Z. So don't try to tackle everything yourself. Like find something that really resonates with you and try to find what local organization specifically would enable you to, to meet that need. So I think just like medical societies, like this one and other ones, you know, in Arizona that might provide trainings, um, different, you know, speakers that come to, to just make connections with each other. And then, yes, like St. Vincent de Paul, they do have um, a clinic for uninsured patients. Um, I know that from the student side, there's a street medicine program where they go around and provide um, help to the homeless populations. I'm sure that there's many more or, um, organizations and opportunities like that. Um, on the international side, and I'll let J- Jason jump in if he wants to, but I say the one thing just that we've learned from our 10 years of, you know, doing this and then, you know, learning from our own mistakes or seeing things along the way is, um, is the one thing we would say with volunteering abroad would be to just do your homework and know the organization that you're going with, right? Is it an ethical organization? Do they have long-term relationships with the site that they're working at? Um, maybe think about, I don't know, I think like short-term trips may not be as uh, fruitful or helpful to the populations there as like uh, more like long-term investments. Um, You want to maybe work with organizations that have long-term partnerships and are really committed to sustainability and capacity building. Would you have anything? No, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Jason, anything to add? Yeah, no, I, I mean, especially on the international side of things, I, I completely agree with Sarah saying is, I think if you're really interested, you know, whether or not you should go abroad, that's, I mean, that's completely up to you. It's again, like, where do you feel called? Where are you excited about? What issue is that? And that issue might be here local in our backyard, right here in Maricopa. It might be somewhere abroad as well. And so like, you just, you know, it's up to you where you're feeling called or feeling passionate about. But when you do go abroad, I would recommend, you know, we don't want to perpetuate medical tourism or this colonial thinking, thinking that we are the saviors. We go help people because we're smarter and better educated. Like that's the wrong approach. And that's, it comes from, I think, you know, people want to help and that's a good thing, right? I'm not saying that's bad. That's wonderful. That spirit of wanting to help and be with others. But sometimes as physicians, we can, we can be hard headed and we can think that we know the best way. And, you know, we know how to solve problems. Um, and we want to be careful that we don't perpetuate that when we go abroad. So as Sarah was saying, if you do go abroad, it's really good to, to work with organizations who are uh, who who are based in that country or they're year round. They don't come in and out. They parachute two weeks or four weeks out of the year to do a service trip and then they leave. And there's then for the next eleven months, there's no healthcare in this community. 
because it's reliance upon this group of people who come for two weeks or four weeks out of year. Like that's not good healthcare and that's not sustainable. sustainable yeah. And that's not what, that's not a, you know, that's just medical tourism. And so really when, if you do want to go abroad, make sure you do your homework and partner with an organization who's dedicated to being there for the long term and who's working to build health systems uh, in that community. And then working with them, like you're really helping to build that vision, right? And that's, that's a good thing. And what I would always also say is I've had also amazing experiences in America. Like we trained in the Bronx and like treating children in the Bronx was an amazing learning opportunity. And you have to, you have to practice in a different way, right? Because there's like um, personal barriers, familial barriers that you have to overcome in order to meet the needs of that child, right? They may not be able to pick up the equipment that they need, or they may not have money to pick up the prescription or you know, this, and there might be language barriers and same thing in East Boston, when I was working with um, mostly Central American um, immigrants and refugees, you know, that was in Boston, you know, and yet you do, you do use a lot of these same skill sets and same knowledge base as when you're abroad, because you're working with different cultures, you might be working with, you know, trying to be creative with how you're going to actually get the treatment plan or the medication to the patient by overcoming these barriers. So, it really, really is like domestic and global. Like that's, I guess what we want to leave your listeners with is that like these concepts, um, you can apply them anywhere. Even if you speak English, it's tough to hear, understand people in Boston anyway. Yeah, exactly. Both people exactly. are speaking English. <laughs> Wicked. Um, thank you both very much. Uh, it's obvious that Xavier's a lucky kid to have the two of you as parents. Um, thanks for everything that you have done over the years and what you will do at Creighton with your patients day in and day out. We will certainly look to you for any guidance about some of these organizations that you know have long-standing relationships so that we can point physicians in Maricopa County and Arizona in the right direction if they wanna participate in any shape or form. Doctors Jason and Sarah Bestie, thank you so much for your time. We're happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015, helping physicians be the best they can be.